You're entering the GOAT Zoom Room. You're back in the GOAT Zoom Room. I'm Caitlin Free, of course, as always, joined by Andy Villanueva. And we have two special guests today, Jockey Lane Luzzy and top owner CJ Johnson. Happy to be back with you guys. Got a lot to discuss. Going to just kind of talk about whatever, but we are almost two weeks to the Kentucky Derby. Um, who's excited? Special guests, you hear that? I, I told CJ there was not going to be any talk of horsey and handicapping. <laughs> yeah, right, I, I, he, I wanted to make he sure said he prepared. needed to be prepared. Prepared hey, for the Kentucky gonna... Derby when we know all the horses in the race. Yeah, I'll be honest. I've I've really, I mean, I've watched all the prep races, but I haven't, you know, usually I'm already digging into PPs by now and stuff, and I have not really looked at much. So I'm, uh, and and it's never really done me any good anyway. So I'm just going to, I'm going to fly by the seat of my pants this year and see how I do. Well, they are dropping like flies. So. Yeah. yeah the UAE guy is not coming over and someone else, right? Uh, Ron Bowers going to the Preakness and the Derby, which or Preakness and the Belmont, which pisses me off because I really like that horse at a price like a lot. But whatever. One of the other reasons why we have these two on is because they are both Lone Star uh, based uh, owner jockey. Um, I've had the pleasure of watching Lane Leslie ride at uh, Sam Houston Race Park the last few years and um, have yet to talk to him when he walks by because he's usually too imposing when he takes his silks off and just shows his guns as he's walking through the grandstand. So. He is pretty jacked. Um, he is jacked. I mean, he's, he's pretty jacked. You know, they're, they're not bad arms for my small frame body, so I just think they look a little bigger. So feel free to say hello next time. <laughs> you just need a tan. I, almost, I yeah. almost said guns out, guns out, man, the other day. When I saw <laughs> you. Because they were – it was a farmer's tan going on. And I'm like, man, the, the guy's got to get some – that's the golf game. Just wait Golfing until Lone Star when it's 105 out, and he's and he's working horses. He'll get he'll get that going. Yeah. So how do you? I know that your dad rides, right, Lane? Uh yes, sir. And have you got now? Correct me if I'm wrong. You guys have ridden before, right? Together in the same race. Um, a few times I, uh, when I had my bug, I rode just a couple at Aqueduct and that was the first time. And, and last year he came down to Lone Star for a weekend. He was going to stay the whole meet, but due to the, the COVID protocols, he had to get back to, to start his meet at Belmont. So we got to ride a few down here last year. And that was, uh, that's something I'll never forget. Does he say anything to you? Talk trash or anything? Oh, not really. No, it's, you know, uh, at, at one point in one of the races we rode together, we were neck and neck for a, for a good eighth of a mile. And, um, I, he was down screaming at his horse, trying to get every little run out of him he can to beat me. And he ended up running second and I run third. And it's, uh, you know, like I said, I'll never forget that, but, 
Um, not not really any kind of trash talk. What do you What do you guys do as far as or as far as you're concerned? I know that you started on the East Coast and moved your tag out to the Midwest, where you've had really good success. What was the basis of that thought process? Um, you know, I, I lost my bug and things kind of went south for me. I lost it at the championship meet at Gulfstream. So, you know, obviously a tough meet and there wasn't really any momentum for me moving forward there. So I went back to Maryland where I rode my first few months and really couldn't get going there either. So I, I went somewhere where nobody knew me and that was kind of my thought process. And um, my first meet was at Remington Park, and I didn't do so well. It's kind of a tough meet, but when I when I got to Houston my first year in 18, I did really, really well. And since then, it's been, been going up, and we're continuing to uh, make strides. CJ, uh, you didn't your, you didn't your agent track. Didn't your agent lure you out, Lane? Uh, it's kind of a funny story. He uh, – I'm sitting watching Lone Star on TV and I said, wow, you know, be pretty cool to ride there. looks like a, you know, nice place. And a week later, an agent, my agent, Brad White, he reached out to me out of the blue and was like, Hey, what do you think about coming and riding this circuit? And I think my bags were packed two hours later and I was on the road to Oklahoma. So, I mean, it really came full circle. So we were talking to Vic Stauffer yesterday, CJ, and we brought you up. And uh, he's very thankful for you because apparently he won a lot of money on Colonel Sampson back in the day. Uh, I've known you more as a prior to you even owning horses. I I knew of you because of Kentucky Downs. Uh, How much fun was that to to run that place or not really run it, but think of new ways of getting the races? to be looked at yeah it was uh it's it's kind of a funny story i grew up at the track and and honestly i went to college and i was in the the racetrack industry program for a year and a half and you know i was an 18 year old kid and i i was just kind of burned out on it all and um you know it uh so i transferred uh to texas tech and and started kind of doing my own thing and then this at Kentucky Downs, they uh, this is before the 2012 meet. The guy who put it together basically just resigned about a month before the meet, about a month and a half. And um, my old man called me. He's like, I'm in a really tough spot right now. I got no one that can help, and I know you can handle it. And so I was like, well, I quit my job that I had for like six and a half years, like gave him a week's notice and, and moved out there. And originally it was like 2012, we were really small. And I did handle a lot of operational stuff, um, which it's one of those things you just get thrown into it and you just got to, you know, I obviously grew up around the track and saw how it was done pretty much my whole life. But, um, you know, I started putting it together and that was everything from, you know, um, tents for patrons, starting gates you know, staff, racing office staff, all that kind of stuff. And then once we grew, it got bigger and bigger. Then that's when it was all too much. And I started focusing on the wagering and the video. Um, and it, yeah, like you said, it was a totally different, um, I don't know, just the way it was all set up. 
you know, the course layout <clears throat> and then the, um, you know, the full fields helped and all that. But I, as, cause I mean, I started out when I was a little kid, my dad would give me 20 bucks, you know, you bet two bucks a race. And, and then also like in 2011, I qualified for the NHC. I used to be a big contest player before I had kids and all that. So I, I, I really started as a handicapper, if you will, you know, and so I knew how important all that stuff was to the betters. And I wanted to make it as, as fun and attractive as I could for the handicapper. And I mean, that kind of, you know, I think my first year or handle or the year before I was there, they did like 8 million. And then by my last year, it was about 36 million, I think, if I remember correctly. Um, and so it was, it was really rewarding to, um, you know, have that increase and, and, and be able to make it, you know, player friendly. And, um, you know, really it was not just for us, but I want, we wanted to do it that way to be a catalyst for the industry and kind of hope that more tracks would take notice and see the growth that we were able to have because of our low takeout, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, and hope that more would jump on board and lower their takeout. Now, I don't know if it really worked that great, but, um, you know, it, it, it was good though. I mean, really, I know I took a lot of crap for it, but, um, cause the, uh, the, the video production, the camera angles, but you got to look at it like, uh, you know, you race over two weeks a year. You don't really get a, a whole lot of money to put into that all, you know, compared to these, these big tracks that are running six months out of the year. Um, and then you're trying to find, you know, like every year we'd have new cameramen. Um, and so you're basically training them on the go and, um, so yeah, it was, it was fun. It was a big challenge, very stressful. Um, I enjoyed my time there. It gave me a lot of good experience. Um, but you know, now this, this, uh, new chapter, it's, it's been pretty fun. Um, you know, again, always kind of, we've always owned a few horses here and there, but now at this level, you know, I'm, I'm learning a lot on the fly and, and trying to get, you know, as familiar as I can with all this side. So not to bring this up because this is supposed to be a family show, but I know that Lane's ridden for you. And what's the stress level like, Lane, for riding for an owner? Because I never really asked my question that. For a specific owner or just anybody in general? Um, just anybody in general, you know? Uh, you know, I, I do it so many times. It's, it, you know, it's not really something you stress about. Um, you know, I, I think it's important to have a good relationship with the people you ride for. Uh, you know, everybody wants to be on the same page. Everybody, you know, when you go into the gate, everybody wants to know that we all have the same game plan and we're looking for the same thing. So I think that's very important. I've rode for CJ for, I guess, three, four years now, and we've had some success from from what we've been able to do. And um so not not really any stress, but you prefer to have a good good jockey owner relationship. Yeah, you um, as you know, I've you know, CJ and I are in the same chats, and I have a tendency to lean towards some of CJ's horses when I handicap sometimes, or when he says something. So I'll put the horse you know on top, and uh, I've I've decided after the last week it. Sam Houston that I'm no longer putting CJ's horses anywhere near the top four um, because all the information again yeah, that, those, right. <laughs> those, those, those were those were gut punches man um, we really thought we had you know 
horses that were a price and were live and you know apparently they were just a little short but um hey i'm you know hopefully rebel posse at 17 to 1 or whatever kind of helped you out a little bit but um yeah this uh this last that uh Let's see, believe in beauty and moon of moon of love, especially. I mean, we thought she was the nuts in that race, and uh, you know, nothing, nothing against Lane there. She just was a little short and didn't have it, so that happens, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, Lane and I, I love having them ride for us, and I think we would probably have a lot more success together. We just had some bad luck, just turf races where you're still sitting on probably the best horse, but it's a bad trip or, you know, you, you get fifth beaten half a length kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? Um, but we've, we've had some really rewarding ones like last year with decorated ace at Lone Star, um, finally won an allowance like closing weekend, I think. And that was, that was a fun one. Um, it's always fun getting in the winter circle with him. So we're due this year, Lone Star. So. So, I know Caitlin's got some questions as soon as I stop talking. Um, I was actually having a coughing fit on mute. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, uh, Lane, talk about that. I've, I've had, like, Jermaine Bridgeman on, and he's, he's mentioned how there's nuances to riding uh, in certain spots where some betters don't understand what's going on. Um. Talk about how hard it is to figure out a, a good trip for a horse that may be the best horse that's sitting on the rail covered up. Um, you know, honestly, if you're sitting on the best horse and, and you're on the rail, you, you really are in the best position in the race. You're saving more ground than the other horses, especially on the turf course. And, um, you know, ideally, that's where you want to be. I prefer being there than three wide any day. But, you know, it it comes with the risk of not being able to find room. But I'm willing to take that risk every single time because that's, you know, that's where you want to be. I, I'm not going to put my horse two, three wide because I'm afraid of not being able to find room. If, if you know, if that's the case, then someone's going to take that spot and, you know, probably something's going to open up for them when you could have been in that spot. So um, it's all about confidence in your horse. Um, if my horse is confident sitting there on the fence, I have no problem being there. In fact, like I said, it's kind of where you want to be. But um, whether you're two to one or eight to one, I'll, I'll take that position any day. Caitlin, you got anything or I don't want to jump over on you on this. Yes, I can. I can breathe now. I'm sorry. I choked on some water that I was drinking and I'm like slowly trying to not drown. Just just Uh, out of curiosity, were you laughing at the whole Swift chat video where he said, I seriously can't take a break? No, I actually wasn't. I was kind of going back and forth through the chat trying to read a little bit. Um, I... I don't know. I've missed some of the things this morning and I got to the stuff about why is Dan in bricks and mortar. So I was kind of like going from there. (laughs) So I was, so Lane, I wanted to ask kind of pivoting back to something that we talked about earlier um, when he mentioned you and your dad, is there a lot of trash talking that goes on during races or is that just kind of like 
not really a thing? Um, you know, for the most part, it's very, very silent. There's a lot of, uh, you know, everybody's really focused on where they're at and where they want to be. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you get upset, you might say a cuss word or two at one another, but there's not, not really any real time for conversation. Um, sometimes you'll say like, I'm here, make sure somebody doesn't come over in front of you or when you're giving up your spot, you know, you, you say, go ahead, but it's very, very, you know, very little conversation out there. What's the funniest thing somebody's ever said to you? Uh, I had one person in Laurel. I won't, I won't say any names, but I guess he didn't like the way, uh, I guess he didn't like the horse and you could hear him the whole race talk about how much he didn't like the horse. And then about the quarter pole, it went silent and he's on the outside fence and he's drawn clear and he won the race by about five lengths. And I think we gave him crap the rest of the meet for that one. And I'll never forget it. Cause I ran second and I thought I was home free. And I looked to my far outside and he is skimming the outside rail, riding, riding away, drew clear by about five or six lengths. And I'll never forget that. <laughs> um, it seems like instead of during the races, like you mentioned, it seems like there's more crap that goes on on Twitter. You're, you seem to be a fan of Adam Hickman's. Oh, me and Adam have become good friends. I, I really, when I know I ride a bad race, I'm pretty sure I type in Lane Luzzy on Twitter and I specifically look for what Adam has to say. So, But it's, you know, it's all in good fun. You know, there's, there's, I understand there's money invested in, and there's, you know, some people that want to troll on there, but you know, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm not in the business of that. I'm, I'm out there to ride and win races. So, you know, in the, in the meantime, when you, you read people like him that send comments like that, it's, it's really funny in the long run. It definitely is. CJ, what is, what's the big girl up to? Um, I'm assuming you're talking about Sally. Yes. She is actually, uh, waiting for an overnight now at Keeneland. We are going to give her another shot on the grass. Um, she, let's see. So we gave her the first time trying grass at Gulfstream and, uh, she finished, I think it was six, but only beaten four lengths and she actually closed nicely and kind of ran her race for the first time since the Derby City Distaff back in September, where she got third. And, um, you know, when uh, Corey got off, he said, you know, I think she'll actually like the Keeneland surface. That grass is way different than that Gulfstream grass. And so hopefully um, we're going to get in on Sunday. But it was kind of that or the Derby City Distaff. And we, you know, I know she got third in the Derby City Distaff last year, but I don't know what's going on with Gamine. If she's going, I know she's nominated. So it's, you know, we, we, we need to get a confidence booster in her. And, um, you know, I'm not saying she's going to win this turf race, but um, I think it was kind of with her pedigree curling out of a more than ready mare. It was time to give her a, a shot on the grass. And, and the way she ran, you know, last time, 
you know, I think it's a good spot for her. Um, she's it's, it's really, really frustrating, you know, deal because we know she's super, super talented. And unfortunately these last, you know, handful of races, she just hadn't shown much. And, um, so I don't know, it's, uh, but when you got a deep closer like that, it's tough. Um, we just got to figure out how to get her, keep her a little closer to the pace, you know, because you've, when you've got a deep closer like that and, you know, you're so pace dependent and you've got to have a track that's not favoring front runners, which is basically impossible now. Um, so I don't know. It's, um, you know, she's, uh, she's our, our baby. We love her to death. We just kind of got to get her back on track and, and figure out what, what she's best at, you know, not really, you know, she actually ran good last time going two turns for a while. We just thought she was going to be a one turn horse, but, um, you know, she was closer than we, than, than we expected last time. And, and, uh, yeah, it's just getting her back on track and kind of finding what, what she's best at. I mean, when we won the hurricane birdie at seven furlongs, we thought, Oh, okay, we're golden. We've got a good, you know, sprinter to a miler, but I don't know. I, I still think she can go further. So we'll see. I know she was um, entered in the sales last year and you guys ended up still keeping her. Do you think you'll still probably end up keeping her at the end of her career? Um, no, she's part of a partnership and you know, that, that is kind of our MO with our horses. We buy only fillies and um, you know, we've got every one of our partners wants to have fun. They understand, you know, there's a lot of risk involved, but the end goal is to have fun and not lose our ass. Um, and so, you know, for example, that year we bought five fillies and spent, I think about 600,000 um, and she happened to be one of them. And so, you know, she's worth more than 600,000 now. So we're out, you know, on that deal. When we sell her, everyone's going to be happy. We won a couple graded stakes. Hopefully, you know, we can get a couple more. Um, but no, that our, our breeding operation is, is uh, <clears throat> we are, we don't have that kind of money. You know, dad and I, our breeding operation is way cheaper mares. Um, I'm man, I would love to someday have, you know, be able to afford a, a brood mare like her. Um, but she's way too classy for us. Um, so yeah, she will definitely be sold, um, you know, probably at the, uh, in the November sale this year at Paisley. Yeah. I was just curious. I know, you know, you don't really know a lot of those plans, but I knew you guys were happy to be able to take her back home again. And she's a really cool mare and I'm excited to see her back in the entry box. Yeah. I told CJ, no tough questions. What are you doing to him? No, it's, uh, it's all good. She's <laughs> no, look, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you guys. Like she, uh, she's named after my sister. She's, you know, it was the first year we put a big partnership together and, um, you know, she's basically the reason our partners kept coming back and reinvesting. And, um, you know, when we put her in the November sale last year, we, we put a high reserve on her knowing that, Hey, we sell her and if she meets it, that's great. You know, we just, we made a lot of money. And, um, but if we don't, you know, cause she's, Dale says she's the soundest horse in his barn. Um, she loves to train, loves to race. Um, you know, being a deep closer, it's like on the gallop out, she wins every race and she thinks she won, you know, she comes back every time happy. Um, but yeah, like when we put her in the sale, 
you know, she's so smart. It's, it's scary. I, I went up to her in the stall and, and she would come up to me and, and I'd pet her and then she'd spin a circle and come up back to me like, what am I doing here? Like she loves being at, you know, in her stall at the track. Um, and then when they took her out, she was in the walking ring. Dale and I were standing next to each other and she would walk past us and keep, she'd keep her eye on us as she walked past us. It's like, don't, don't get rid of me guys. I know what you're doing here. Like, you know, and it was, it was actually really emotional. My wife called me. I was kind of tearing up and she was like, I've like only seen you cry when our kids were born, you know, and at our <laughs> wedding and like, what are you doing? I'm like, this is not easy. Cause she knows, you know, she's, it's like a puppy dog, you know, when at a, at a uh, animal shelter or something, you know? Um, and so now she means the world to us. So, I mean, we'll do whatever's best for her, but you know, the end goal obviously is to, to make some money and have some fun and, and, you know, no, she's um bought a bought her for one hundred and sixty thousand. So I think she's she's done everything. She doesn't know us anything more, you know. Hey Lane, I got a question, kind of circling back to the whole Twitter thing, and we were off air talking about it. How how difficult is it to do? And I, CJ, you can answer this too. How difficult is it to deal with the Twitter people? Um, uh, you know. I think so many people, I think they, they have so much invested and I, and I understand they, you know, I, I live for horse racing, they live for horse racing and, and sometimes it's, it's hard for them to understand and put themselves, themselves in my shoes, especially when you, you get angry people over a ride or, or anything for that matter. I, and I, and I'm, I'm vocal on there. I, I try to explain to them why I feel the way I feel. And you get mixed, you know, you get mixed reviews from people. Some people are, are good about it and understand. And some are just looking for a bar fight. So, you know, you take that at hand and you take it with a grain of salt. But, uh, you know, for the most part, that's Twitter is the new way to, that's almost growing the sport. It's getting people involved and, a lot of new people have gotten in the game because of Twitter. So it kind of goes hand in hand both ways. CJ. Yeah. Yeah. It it's. Um, so in Lane's case, I mean, I'll be perfectly honest. I mean, how many people on Twitter that are going after him have ridden a horse going 40 miles an hour? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And had to make split second decisions to everyone. It's so easy. Oh my God. How did he not go through that hole? How did he not, how did he get himself in this trouble? Well, it's pretty damn simple. I mean, he's going 40 miles an hour on a horse. Like, like you got to make split second decisions. And, and it's, I mean, look, I, I was, you know, it, it, after Saturday's race, I was, you know, pretty heated at first, but then, you know, actually remembering I'm, six four 230 pounds like I could never be the athlete that Lane is like and and how tough that is right after the break to get position because in a turf race you know the race is won in the first half mile I mean it it really is for the most part you know um and it was it was um you know after calming down and and really thinking about it it was like I I'm not mad at him at all it's the way the race shaped out and and he had to make a decision and it just didn't work out that's that's why but he's given me plenty of good rides to where you know I can forget that but yeah a lot of and and you know some people say stuff to me and and I respect a lot of people on Twitter and I'll listen to them too um 
if I kind of know their experience and, but it's the, the people who have, you know, never touched a horse and, and have no idea what, you know, that, that stuff really frustrates me. And I, and I'll, I've probably, you know, deleted more, not deleted, but not ended up sending replies or tweets to people. Like I've done that more than I've actually sent out stuff. Like, cause I just gotta, you know, be the bigger person or, or, uh, simply I don't have time to argue with them. <laughs> um, but yeah, when people want to, who have no experience with it, want to tell me how to manage a horse, that's kind of frustrating. Um, I think Lane's a better person than I am because I'm sure he gets it way more than I do, but, um, you know, it's, it's not easy. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't mean to like step on your toes and tell you what to do. CJ. All right. Can't help myself. No, no, I know you know what a I'm horse is supposed kidding. to look like. I'm you just, know what I'm saying? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I mean that's um, that's exactly what I'm talking about though. I'll I'll listen to you and take what you say, you know. Um and and I respect your opinion. Um but yeah, it's it's and it's funny some of these handicappers and all like uh you know, freaking shoe and swift now think they're bloodstock agents and and they uh <laughs> they got <laughs> Um, no, like, like, uh, she will say a horse of mine has no shot and it wins. And, and there's no better feeling in the world than that. But that's like every single time. I mean, I would, I would, I, I know mean, literally Lane, every single Lane time. Is really, Lane is really smart because I mean, he's one of the cerebral writers in the circuit, right? Like he knows, he knows how to read a form. He knows how the horses are supposed to run. He watches replays. Um, how often do you get caught off guard with the way the race sets up, Lane? Um, you know, it, if everybody read the form the same way, the race would be run the way it would look like on paper every single time. And, you know, that's, you know, that's not how the game is, but, uh, you have to have different game plans out there. If you're on a speed horse and you don't break, someone else is going to be in front. And you got to find a way to to make it work from mid pack or from the back of the pack. So I, I don't think it catches you off guard so much. I, I ride so many races that you'd be surprised how many times it shapes up differently than you think. And you know, on a ten race card, if if I came up with how I think the race would shape up, I'd probably be right thirty to forty percent of the time, which isn't a good number. But that's horse racing. That's that's kind of how it works. So you have to adapt to the horses around you, the jockeys' decisions. You know, the horses have minds of their own. You know, sometimes one of them wants to show speed on a day where you looked at the program a half hour prior and he never showed speed in his life. So now, so now you kind of have to make your trip based around that. So, um. You know, it's it's one of those things where you just have to be ready at all times for for anything. So yeah, and I'll add like I I handicap I handicap every race we're in beforehand, and I can't tell you how many times it doesn't, you know, shape up the way I saw it on paper. And I'm a you know a capable handicapper, but um, you know, there's um, like for, for example, um, I mean Sally's last race on the grass, I thought there was two horses, three horses that were going to go to the lead. Well, only one went to the lead and no one went after him. And that horse wired the field, you know, and um, 
I know I've, Lane and I talk about our races prior to and kind of come up with a plan, but, um, you know, the difference between me and someone who's handicapping the race is, you know, you can pick multiple horses. Like if you're going to pick four or whatever, you, you know, okay. I think if, uh, this horse is low in speed, you know, I'll add him, then I'll add a, you know, someone stalking if the pace melts down, blah, blah, blah. But with me, it's like I'm singled every race I'm in, you know? So it's really, really frustrating when that happens. I got, I got, uh, two more questions and then Caitlin gets to ask the other couple questions. Um, What was the question? Okay, here's a question. You guys are starting Lone Star next week, right? What are your What are your goals for both of you as far as Lone Star is concerned? Um, what do you want to do? What What's What's the best case scenario for both of you? You know, I, I really I get asked this question often before meet, and I kind of have the same answer every time. I I don't really set a goal for wins or money earned, and uh, you know I. I'm the kind of rider that focuses on my next horse. So, you know, right now, opening day, my first horse, that's my main concern. And when that race is over, it doesn't, it doesn't matter anymore to me. It's the next one that matters. And I think that mindset has really, you know, kept me focused. I used to be a, a bug boy or my first year as a journeyman trying to win 30 races at a meet or 35 and it doesn't matter what your goal really is, is, you know, is how the race turns out for you. I mean, I've had slow weeks and I come back and, and have won eight or nine the next week. And it's just about being focused. And if I could do the best job I can do, then I could win a hundred races or 80 races. So I don't really set a, a goal for wins or, or stake races or, or anything specific. By the way, the overnight's out. You got, you're in the uh, lane. You got the overnight just came out for a Lone Star. You're you're riding in the blue bonnet first race. For there a you bear. go. So that's that's the first one that uh, that's the first one I need to worry about. Um, so with us and and you know in the past we've usually had about you know we've kind of we always try and support. Lone Star, obviously, is it's my, I, you know, grew up there. I worked there, um, you know, different positions kind of around the place. And, and you know, in the past, we've always kind of had cheaper horses there. Um, and, you know, we'll claim from here or there and bring them down or buy privately. Um, but lately, you know, with, with some of these, you know, nicer horses that just didn't work out, um, in our partnerships, you know, that maybe started in Kentucky or Florida or New York, we've been bringing them here. Um, and so it's, it's, a, it's, it's funny because when you're trying to manage these horses and find their next race, it's uh, when you move from track to track, it's just, it's, it's really different everywhere. You know, uh, these races at Lone Star are tough. You know, you think you've got an allowance horse coming in and then you look at the, the, uh, the race and you got a, claimer in there that you know somehow wins the race um you know the races are all pretty I, I don't know it's strange trying to figure out what fits where and all that kind of stuff and so we always start out a little slow because you're trying to figure out where your horse fits um but I mean I think if we um 
you know, I think we're going to have, let's see, I got a Texas bread that's about to go back into training. So we'll probably have five there. Um, and I know like Steve, uh, asked me since shipped up, uh, Clayton's candy who won an optional claimer at fairgrounds last out. She's going to run on May 1st, I think. And then rebel posse is, um, April 30th. So we'll have a couple, um, I know that, running I know that right off said, the bat. I know that you had mentioned that a couple horses were planning on going to Woodbine. With Woodbine having the issues right now, are they going to stay here or are they going to Kentucky? Yeah, exactly. Um, so one of them, um, she is, she won an allowance last year at Woodbine and she is going to, let's see, she is at Belmont right now. And so uh, she's with Mark Cassie. Um, and so, yeah, she's at Belmont right now, and we don't really know. So she's going to – we're pointing at a race uh, May 6th um, at Belmont. And the other one that ran in the um, in the stakes race at Sam Houston, she is likely staying <clears throat> at Lone Star. Um, and she got second, third, and fourth in allowances last year at Woodbine. Um, and so I'm – Honestly, that one is like, we got no idea. Right now, we're going to train her at Lone Star, keep her there. And, um, you know, it kind of depends because we could, like, we got a race picked out on May 16th for right? Well, May 1st comes around, we might send her to California or something. Um, you know, it's all kind of up in the air with what's going on at Woodbine. Um, it's kind of funny. She broke her maiden in um england on the synthetic but kind of got she got hurt on the synthetic here um and so we're gonna keep her you know i don't know we um she needs to either be on the turf or the dirt but uh yeah i don't know it's it's this woodbine situation is is um kind of crazy and and it's all it could change next week you know what i'm saying we just got to be flexible and ready to go so now we get to the toughest part of the interviews and the podcast. Caitlin Free will now uh, be asking some tough questions that you guys need to be need to answer. Oh, great. <laughs> CJ, you kind of already have a lot of experience in this area. So your answers may be stuff that's already happened to you guys in your stable. So, okay. okay. And one, one thing, uh, with Lane, don't ask him about the trainer deal because we don't want him getting fired from any of the trainers he doesn't mention. All right. Great. We'll just skip that one in general completely. So, okay. Hypothetically speaking, I mean, I guess not hypothetically if you're CJ, but as an owner for both of you guys, where what track anywhere in the world would you most want to win a race? Lego Saratoga. First. Saratoga. Okay. No reason. It's it's home for me. I mean, that's where I was born, raised, grew up there, spent every summer there. My family owns a home there now. So, I mean, the racing's so good up there that to ride a meet there someday is kind of a goal of mine anyway. So, yep, Saratoga. What about you, um, CJ? I, 
So we got our first win at Saratoga last year. It might have been a maiden 40, but it still felt good. Um, let's see. We got a, we got our first win at Keeneland last year. It might have been an $8,000 claimer, but it felt good. Um, and uh, But I, I think I'd have to go with Royal Ascot. Um, just I think simply because the, you know, the eyes of the world are on you for those six days that they run or whatever, or five days, whatever it is. You know, um, and last year we had our first runner there, and I think she was in first for about halfway through the race and then just faded um, on that soft, soft turf. But we kind of learned our lesson and, and um, you know, it was it was a, it was I, I went there in 2019 and every race was, um, you know, when they're coming for home, every race sounded like they do in the derby turning for home. You know what I'm saying? It's uh it's a totally different experience and, and, um, you know, to, to have the Royal family there and all that kind of stuff, that's, it's pretty cool. And, and again, to have like pretty much the whole world dies on you. Um, I'd have to say, yeah, I think Royal Ascot. Lane, if you could ride anywhere that's not Saratoga, I guess, um, what are you thinking? Um, you know, I, I'm at a, I'm at a point in my career where I I'm doing so well where I am. You often think about what's the next step, and um, that's something I battle with myself every day. And uh, I don't really talk about it because I, you know, like I said before, I kind of a kind of guy that focuses on my next task at hand. But I do think long term. I don't really like I said I don't really talk about it, but I do think long term. Um, I'm in a situation where I got to think what is my best next move for me and what could get me to, you know, the top per se. Um, the Kentucky circuit is kind of interesting. Um, that's something I think about often, uh, California racing. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff going on out there and a lot of guys leaving, but you got to think maybe that's a place where needs a fresh face because everyone's leaving. Maybe they're looking for somebody new. Um, like I said, Saratoga, I mean, the New York circuit is a place where, you know, there's great racing and, you know, I'm home. I'd be home. I'd be with family. So I, I often think about the plenty of options I have every day. Okay. Last question. So, if you could use any jockey for any of your horses, who would be your first call rider? You put CJ on the spot. Oh you man, put Lane on the spot. <laughs> yeah, Lane. I probably, I, pro I, I probably wouldn't use myself either. <laughs> yeah, that's not an option. <laughs> I'm def I'm definitely top five, but I don't know if I put myself first. Um. My dad would probably be second, but that's kind of a biased opinion. Um, you know, I, I I got to grow up in a in the Belmont Aqueduct Saratoga Jocks room. I, I sat next to my dad, you know, through the prime of his career. And I mean, you're in the jockeys room there. You look to your right, you got Javier Castellano, and you look to your left, you have guys like Garrett Gomez, John Velasquez, uh, 
I mean, the names just, there's not a bad rider in that room, but, uh, I used to ride the Equisizer in there before I ever sat on a horse. And, you know, you had some guys that would come over to you and give you advice. And obviously I had my dad in my corner, which I'm very grateful for, but I, I've always been a huge fan of John Velasquez. I, I think dirt, turf, long, short, the, the guy looks the same, rides the same kind of race every single time. And it's usually picture perfect. And I've always been a big fan of him. He's always been a, a good guy. So I'd probably go with Johnny V. I have one oh, last question. Well, oh, yeah. You, I was you just going to say, you stole mine. You stole mine. So, um, and and also Johnny's a real humble guy. He's uh, we used to do a lot of work with the PDJF and stuff, and so I got to know him. Um, and he's a super good guy. But I guess since you took that, I'll um, uh, it, and that's the thing. It's tough because there's some guys I'd rather ride in the sprint or route versus dirt turf. But all around, you know, after Johnny V, I'd probably have to go with Rosario. Um, just you know, like I said, you, you, you said one rider. So I'm trying to think of who's, you know, the best at doing it all. Um, and yeah, I probably have to go with Rosario. Yeah. And it doesn't Bruno, matter where Bruno, he's at either. I mean, yeah. track, so. Bruno DiGiulio once told me when I was working for him and I was doing, and I was, and there was a day where I thought Rosario could win like nine races because he just was on fire. So I picked him on top on, on the races and, Bruno DiGiulio said that I need to stop holding Rosario's jock strap and stop having a love child with him because it's ridiculous. And I'm like, <laughs> dude's on, dude's on fire. I don't know what you're watching, but I mean, I can't go wrong picking him, right? So then that's yeah, the and that, that I don't I mean, really that's care the thing about him. He goes out to California. He's still good. Yeah, doesn't matter where he's at. You know, a lot of these guys, they can only. They only ride their circuit, and that's in the ship out of town, and they're worthless. You know, he can yeah. go New York, Kentucky, California, Florida. It doesn't matter. He's he's yeah, he knows he's those good. courses. You know. Um, I do have one last question. I forgot to ask Lane during our interview. Um, favorite golf course in Texas, and have you been to Frisco? I the have Frisco one. I haven't played in Frisco. Uh, damn, that's tough. Um, that is very tough. You're putting, putting – this is actually the most controversial question because I have a lot of friends that work at golf courses <laughs> that give me these really good deals. And uh, I, I tell you what, there's one in Houston that we played a lot this year, um, the Golf Club of Houston. They play the Shell Open there a few times a year. and We had some bad weather down down there this year. Uh, we had like a blizzard midway through the meet where we, we missed a whole week of racing. But uh, – you know, that kind of the, the courses weren't in the best of shape this year because of that. But Golf Club of Houston, if you haven't played that one, check it out. That's a good one. Yeah, I'm, I miss golfing. I used to golf in California all the time and I moved down to Houston and I don't have anybody to golf with. So um, it's just one of those things where I just don't like going golfing by myself because if I throw a club and break it, I don't have somebody else's I can borrow. That's a good point. <laughs> Lane, Lane, I was hoping you were going to say Trophy Club, where you pulled out from what was that, a hundred yards or something? We had a double eagle and a scramble. Remember that? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. How how far out was that? 
Ah, uh, we were over 200 yards. Yeah, and your short ass didn't even see it go in. You didn't believe us. <laughs> no, that, I hit this great shot over this big hill, and I knew it was good, but, you know, you're so far away, you don't really think anything of it. You're like, oh, I'll drive up with the golf cart and see where I'm at. And the three guys I was playing with, they started jumping up and down like idiots. And I'm like, look at these two I was morons. One of them. What are they screaming about? Yeah, I said, look at this guy. I can't believe I ride his horses. I'm like, damn. Like, <laughs> he's screaming, jump, jumping up and down. And we got up to the green. Sure enough, it was in the hole for a double eagle. So, so I have. By the way, so, they better bring that. They better bring that back this year because I'll sponsor another team. I know. I want to win. I want to win. I want to win this well, how, year. How how good are you? Um, you know, you have your good days and bad days. I played yesterday. I shot 79, which is pretty damn good for me. I'm playing here in about two hours, so I'll, I'll let you know on Twitter what I shoot. But probably have a 12, 13 handicap. I've only been playing three years, but it's, it's kind of been my little hobby. It doesn't matter where – where you are in the country you can find you know good golf and and people that play so it's it's a really good hobby so you guys you have i don't know if cj's ever heard it i don't know if you've even heard it have, or caitlin have you guys heard the cory nakatani story uh that happened in like 1991 i don't think so yeah so cory nakatani was is probably one of the greatest jockey one of the greatest golfers that's a jockey he he would go out every single day after on dark days and play and during delmar one meet he was having a good meet but he was thinking of actually trying out for becoming a golfer full-time and he went up to his agent bob meldall and he said to him hey bob i'll take all of the grief i'll take all of the headaches i'll take all of the issues that are going on I'm, I just need you to not have me ride on Friday and Saturdays because I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be doing a, an amateur golfer store to try to get, to try to start getting my name out there. And Bob's like, okay, well, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. And they sat there for a couple minutes and there's a bunch of us there and we're just kind of like, okay, I guess that sucks. And Bob looked and then Corey looks at Bob and goes, Hey, Bob, how much money do you think I'm going to make on this tour? And Bob just like, is like, nothing, you idiot. There's no money to be made. You're an amateur. You don't make money. And Nakatani's like, well, left that. I'm going to go back and ride horses. Don't take me off of anything then. Like, <laughs> greatest, greatest story I've ever been a part of and seen and will live in infamy. <laughs> Literally nothing. Yeah, you don't make money on yeah. amateur tour. So just don't go to your agent. And yeah, ask that's when he was. Tour. He was probably rolling too. He was probably yeah. doing really well back then. Yeah, he was running everything. Wow. In in fairness, he probably still could have made five six grand a week and still have played golf two days a week for free. I mean, that's still a pretty good deal. Yeah. Yeah, but that's not that's not Corey's mindset though. That was never Corey's mindset. Corey's always been about money. He's he's yeah yeah. There's a reason why he was a money writer. He he loved his money. He might have been <laughs> able to hustle a few guys on the golf course for like twenty bucks a hole. No comment. Yeah. <laughs> no comment. 
Yeah, yeah he, I'm terrible. I golfed with Robbie Alvarado and Corey Lannery once, and they tried to hustle me, and it was uh, I wasn't falling for it. <laughs> yeah, that and uh, Derek Gomez used to hustle hustle us at at pool at Santa Anita at the at the bowling alley. <laughs> and go, I don't know how to play, and let's play for twenty <laughs> bucks, and then all of a sudden he'd take you for sixty, and oh, man, those were the days, man. We appreciate you guys coming on. I, I know it's a weekday and you guys probably have better things to do, but we appreciate you guys coming on and enjoy it. And thanks for coming and being a part of our goat zoom room. We'd love to have you back next week. Uh, we will not have a goat zoom room until Friday afternoon or evening. Um, we have a very, very special guest and we're actually going to go to Kentucky uh, Lexington to actually do the interview. So should be very interesting. Caitlin, are you there? Or are you coughing again? No, I'm still here. <laughs> yes. She's very... choking on water. <laughs> very, very, very excited for that. Definitely a special one to go on location with somebody and actually tape it and do a really cool one in person. Going to have some more really cool um content to be putting out on our site and just stay tuned for that so we will see you guys next week oh i know i do know one thing cj what what's up with the sweet tickets how come some guy in chicago gets them and not some guy in texas hey it's uh as i've said it's open whenever you want to come up you are more than welcome to to join uh we got it all meet and uh sometimes even lane makes an appearance after the races um while the degenerates are still in there firing at something late night. Um, and no, we just, we, uh, I got it all the time. So anytime you want to come up, you're uh, more than welcome. Yeah. When, when, uh, when Coots came up, he basically, he would set up shop and there with his computer and work from there. And then I, you know, come in about the, like a couple hours later and we just kind of work, work, if you know what I mean. And, uh, fire at the races. So, Anytime you want to come up, you're more than welcome to. We we got to get Caitlin out here. I know. Yes. That's what we have to do. Caitlin, have you ever been to Lone Star? I have not. It's uh, got to make it happen. Everyone I take for the first time, they're they're pleasantly surprised and and always say it's you know one of the nicer tracks they've ever been to. So. Yeah, they they usually can't believe when you when you pull up to the place they. You know, know. it's it, the paddock. The paddock's beautiful. It's one of the most beautiful paddocks in a, in America. And you, when you take people there, they can't believe it. I'm like, what? Well, where did you think I rode? Like some like dumpy place? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> some bush track. Yeah, yeah. Like we're well, we're Maynard, in Dallas, Texas. It's nice. Well, Maynard it was nice Downs. enough to hold a Breeders' Cup. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. Maynard Downs. That's that's the next place. That's the place you need to bring back, CJ. You need to go and buy oh my downs and get it up again. It's still uh, the grandstand's still there, right? Yeah. Let's, buy, let's let's get something together. So my wife. Yeah, has I think a place some guy owns that Easter. license. He's just been sitting on it, um, and I'm surprised he hadn't like you know done anything with it. It's probably just. I don't know, in case they get gaming or something, then he'll revive it kind of thing, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, I love wife used to go to uh, there every Easter Sunday with her family when she was growing up really? in Austin. So yeah, but appreciate you guys coming on. It's awesome to have you on. I finally yeah. got CJ on, and it took Lane to get him on. So uh, <laughs> if I knew if I knew it was that easy, I would have asked Lane to come on during Sam Houston. So thanks again. I, well, I appreciate it, guys. <laughs> You just tell me when, and I'll be on it. But if you're like, we want to have you on, you know, I'm, I don't know. I gotta, you gotta lock me down. Um, but anytime you need me on, you know, I'm happy to fill airspace for you. Thanks, I appreciate it, and hopefully, Lane, the same thing goes for you. Yeah, absolutely. I, on. I appreciate you having me on, guys. Thank you. Thanks, guys.